for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Pella Neuroth-Taylor, live from Sweden, on today's News Talk TNT. Hi there. Welcome to TNT, my show. Well, today's Valentine's Day, 14th of February. I don't know if they celebrate it in Ukraine and Gaza Strip. But while many of us have been receiving and sending uh, emails and cards and uh, and uh, making phone calls to our loved ones, I guess there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world and in those uh, war zones who will be crying into their pillows tonight um, because their boyfriends or husbands or cousins or brothers have, have uh, died in the slaughter of Gaza and, uh, and in Ukraine. And so we must spare a thought for those people that there's sorrow when there is joy. Um, because like Christmas, it's a day when you are reminded of uh, relationships and your lack of them, if that's your unfortunate situation. Now, um, what there's a lot happening in the world, uh, but I just wanted to Mentioned one of my uh, the bees in my bonnet, or my, one of my uh, concerns is this false flag possibility, or that there will be um, an event that's going to actuate a, a shooting war between NATO and uh, Russia. Uh, although NATO is uh, is rather weak, uh, there are people on the NATO side who feel that we, uh, I fear, who would have simply. I mean, it's a, it's a male thing who want to have a go. They've seen the Russians having a go for two years, and they're, they're sort of. If you're a soldier, you're a warrior, and you're prepared to die and do things. And they've, they've been pushing, pushing the civilian politicians, and uh, there are plenty on the civilian side as well who are who are kind of keen. And one wonders whether they know uh, what's really going on on the ground, and whether they just want to trigger a war and then sort let things sort themselves out, as it were. Once we're plunged into a war, then we'll go immediately into war footing, and then all these uh, calculations about taking until 2025 even to reach um, 100,000 shells a year when Ukraine is uh, uh, 100,000 shells a month, which is about 10 days artillery usage for the Ukrainians. Well, all those calculations will be out of the window as we turn into, America turns into the arsenal of democracy or whatever. So we've got to avoid uh, any false flags, any triggers. And I think personally that the Russian um, go slow approach isn't because they're weak, but rather because uh, you know you don't want to frighten the madman type of approach. Uh, Putin has said that he doesn't want to go into Latvia or Poland. And apparently he's, uh, according to Reuters, which is, you know, a very Western mainstream source. So if they say it, it's probably true in the sense that it's a pro-Putin statement. And Russians have been briefing Putin, uh, Reuters correspondents in Moscow, that they, Putin is indeed seeking a ceasefire, but the Americans have rejected it. So um, they want this, the Americans, the Americans want this war to continue. And, uh, uh, what has happened on uh, the the um, uh, Jake Sullivan, who's national security advisor, apparently said, "Well, we can't uh, have a ceasefire without reference to the Ukrainians." And the Ukrainians, of course, have put it into their constitution that they need to keep on fighting. And uh, Zelensky uh, has appointed not the uh, military expert, uh, special uh, forces guy Budanov, whom I thought last week I speculated, but in fact. Uh, General Kutsiewski is a Russian, ethnic Russian, and uh, loyal, apparently, totally loyal to Zelensky, but is extremely unpopular with the Ukrainian rank-and-file soldiers because uh, of his title as the Butcher of Bakhmut. That is, he fed lots of Ukrainian conscripts into uh, the the main battle zone last year, which was Bakhmut, and the Ukrainians still lost, 
but um, uh, I, I suppose it served to um, burnish uh, Ukraine's reputation for wanting to fight and fight to the last man, which I think is, is sort of building up this kind of moral pressure on the West to send their own soldiers in to fight Russia, even though there have been no military gains from this uh, Bakhmut uh, holdout that they did last year. And the question is now whether Sierski is going to be known as the butcher of Adivka, because rather than this other uh, position on the Ukrainian front line, for those who are not following it, is uh, is facing uh, obliteration by the Russians or push out by the Russians. But the Ukrainians, instead of evacuating the situation, are putting more men in. So it might be the next uh, Bakhmut, uh, as it were, with very, very high death tolls on the Ukrainian side. So more women who won't be celebrating tonight, uh, Valentine's Day, if they do celebrate it there. Um, meanwhile, I just wanted to say one last thing, which is that, uh, as I said, I talked about the, the possibility of a false flag, that is a, a provocation, a death, an assassination. Assassination, as we know, started World War One, And um, the... Um, uh, the, 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 some Ukrainian websites or a website called Ukrainian Leaks, and I can't vouch for it, but it's, a, it's a speculation. A guy called Prozorov, who seems like a serious guy, talks about it having been a planned operation to kill French President Macron when he was in Ukrainian soil. And that's why Macron cancelled a few days later. There were two French mercenaries involved and they died in suspicious circumstances, perhaps because they were going to blow the whistle to the French special uh, intelligence services. Anyway, that's the sort of thing that might take place. Let's say Macron was killed or incapacitated or attacked. The Ukrainian um, intelligence services would then uh, manage it, manage the blame and get it onto the Russians. And then there would be very strong pressure to go to war with Russia. Of course, this story is not over and it, that is speculative. But I mean, you've got millions of Ukrainians in the West, many teams of young men. It's easy to assassinate some Swedish gopher minister walking down the street in what he thinks is a safe, safe Stockholm, and suddenly we have an international incident on our hands. I'm just saying that's a possibility. Anyway, that's it for today, and we're going to bring our news producer, Basil Valentine, in for today's other headlines after the break. This is TNT Radio. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, Basil. Did you get lots of Valentine's cards? <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, so many chocolates. I always take the extras down to the hospital and give them to the sick children. And uh, I take all the flowers and uh, distribute them around the various care homes and funeral parlours in the area. We usually need two or three vans to do that job. It's all your it's all your fans on TNT, uh, obviously, um, and uh, you will. I have the same problem, and, and they throw teddy bears at me when I uh, go out to lunch. <laughs> it's tough being a celebrity, <laughs> isn't it? Anyway, what have you got for You're us? Lucky, it's just teddy bears. People threw other things at Tom Jones in his heyday. Um, oh gosh. Okay. Right. Anyway, mm. anyway, uh, let's uh, get on to that great British institution. The Labour Party, which seems to be eating itself. Uh, I don't know if you know, but this week it has withdrawn support for two parliamentary candidates over remarks they've made about the inevitable Israel. First of all, uh, Azar Ali is the candidate in the upcoming Rochdale by-election. And he dared to suggest that the Israelis had foreknowledge 
of what happened on October the 7th. This was described as anti-Semitic. I mean, search me what it's got to do with anti-Semitism. But of course, uh, it's described as a conspiracy theory, you see. And uh, there can be no truck with conspiracy theorists or people who speculate about uh, the Israelis uh, allowing a an attack in order to carry out their ethnic cleansing and genocide of Gaza. You can't speculate about that in the Labour Party. So they have withdrawn their support from him. Now, it's too late for them to replace him with any other candidate. The deadline was February the 2nd. So you now have the bizarre situation where uh, somebody was selected to stand for Labour and they're a Blairite. This is the important thing. This is not a Jeremy Corbyn supporter, this Azhar Ali. Um, but he's now had all uh, parliamentary and official Labour Party support withdrawn. So he will still appear on the ballot paper as Labour, but Mm. if he were to win the seat, he would sit as an independent. He is Mm. highly unlikely to now win the seat, uh, not least Mm. because of this, because uh, George Galloway for the Workers' Party is the anti-genocide candidate. And uh, bizarrely, perhaps, amongst most people, they don't like genocide. Now, to give you an idea just how ludicrous this situation has become, people are now calling, people in the so-called Jewish labor movement, which is effectively a front for the Israeli embassy, uh, are now calling for other councillors who were at that meeting to be expelled from the party even though they didn't say anything, in fact, because they didn't say anything. So in other words, this is how the witch hunt works. You were at that meeting. You heard somebody make remarks that we've decided were anti-Semitic. And because you didn't speak up at the time, you've now got to be sacked, thrown out of the party as well. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. There's that saying, isn't there? Westminster is Israeli occupied territory. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, the other candidate from whom the Labour Party have withdrawn support is Graham Jones. Uh, Mm. And uh, he is reported to have said effing Israel. Now, uh, as a number of people have pointed out on the X platform this morning, um, it would be perfectly acceptable to say effing America, effing France, effing Italy. Mm. Effing Ireland, effing any country in the world whose actions you disapprove of, but not, it seems, effing Israel, even though the ICJ believe there is a very strong case that it's committing genocide. What a Mm. bizarre, inverted world we live in, Pelly. And I just, I mean, you know um, the uh, conflict much better than I do, but even I read up on the the fact that, I mean, you've got to assume, we've got to, here at the TNT, we try and tell you the truths that you don't get in the mainstream media and the Guardian and so on. But and so, isn't it true that the the Israelis did have foreknowledge of uh, October seventh? What's the latest on that? I heard that there was some youngish um, conscript woman intelligence officer who said, "Well, you know, we, we saw they were getting ready for this attack, and I reported it up to my superiors, and they didn't do anything." You know, so was that a cock up, or did they know very well and they want a sort of false flag operation, or they wanted to let it happen so that they could have a go at Hamas? What's the latest? On very, that? very, yeah, very good question. Um, it's a moot point, 
basically the bizarre thing is of course that israeli media report about these things you can yeah. read about uh the so-called stand down orders or the whether it was complacency or whether it was deliberate the extremely mm. slow response by the israelis on october the 7th it's common knowledge within israel but not mm. uh in the united kingdom you're not allowed to talk about it in the united kingdom or rather we are allowed to talk about it and we do talk about it but you can't talk about it if you wish to be a candidate for election representing the so-called labor party um the other chap I find myself, who had sorry. To, well the other bloke graham no. jones he was defended this morning by ed balls um, right. former treasury minister on great good morning britain who said, mm. let's stand back here and get some facts. Graham Jones, I know him really well. He's not hard left, absolutely not anti-Israel. You could all imagine saying, expletive America, Graham Jones is not an anti-Semite. Well, of course he isn't. I mean, mm. um, a, a lot of us have been at pains, including a lot of Jewish people, an increasing number of Jewish people are at yeah. pains to point out that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. In fact, it is anti-Semitic to claim that Israel represents all Jewish people. That is oh, that's a good line. Well, I, I yeah. saw somewhere that, um, I mean, not only are young people in, in the States, maybe it's true in the UK as well, uh, but um, uh, they're, they're very pro-Palestine and uh, Biden is losing that cohort. But also young Jewish Americans um, are anti, increasingly anti-Israel. Are they anti-Semitic? Can you be Jewish and anti-Semitic? Maybe you can. Well, it, it seems you can. Bizarrely enough, it seems you can, Pelle. Yes. I mean, uh, Starmer has expelled dozens and dozens of anti-Zionist Jewish people from the Labour Party. You have the mm. bizarre situation where Gentiles are expelling Jews for anti-Semitism. I mean, mm. make that make sense. Hmm. Um, and I mean, then I saw. Uh, I, I mean, I fortunately, guess... we have people like Galloway and, and the Workers' Party to say this is all total nonsense. Uh, you know, we have to have a stand against genocide. Uh, most notably, of course, Andrew Feinstein. Uh, this is right. the one that's real kryptonite to the chattering okay. classes, to the BBC, the Guardian, all those. Three. Andrew yeah. Feinstein, I don't know if you know, is a very well respected Jewish intellectual formerly a member of parliament in South Africa representing the ANC. He is also vehemently anti-Zionist, anti-imperialist and anti-genocide. So I'm mm. not quite sure whether the mass media in the UK are going to attempt to portray this Jewish man as being anti-Semitic, even though he has impeccable uh, anti-imperialist credentials and was a friend of Nelson Mandela. Um, whether they can try and paint him as anti-Semitic. I mean, this is really topsy-turvy stuff, well, isn't uh, it? Uh, exactly. And I'm hearing from some uh, Afrikaner former intelligence officials in South Africa, some of my contacts there, who could see the writing on the wall in the 1980s and were preparing uh, for non-white rule, I mean, from the mid-80s onwards. Just as they say, the KGB were behind a lot of the revolutions in Eastern Europe because they were often the brightest people around, you know, or the most worldly uh, we, 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 what we don't know is that the Afrikaner intelligence were wanted reform and they wanted to put Mandela in and be friends with him before the inevitable happened. And he says, I can see the writing on the wall. Israel is like South Africa in 1988. 
give it three or four years and uh, Israel is, as we know it, is finished. And that's from a guy who's seen the changes in South Africa and helped orchestrate them. Anyway. I, I can't help thinking the Israelis are going to put up a bigger fight to hold on to their supremacist uh, ethno-nationalist state than the South Africans did, believe it or not. Um, mm. But yes, popular support for Israel has disintegrated around the world, and it's not surprising. Mm. But of course, decades of lobbying, bribing and blackmailing politicians mean it still has a stranglehold on Westminster, Brussels and Washington, uh, though mm. people are finally beginning to see through it and that a lot of their politicians are bought. Finally, before we go, I just want to make a quick mention to the Trust Ball, the new feature length documentary about Julian Assange. Assange, of course, uh, has his hearing next week where he will discover if he is to be granted leave to appeal his extradition. The hearing is at the Old Bailey on the 20th and 21st, and we at TNT will be there live streaming from a venue adjacent to the Royal Courts of Justice. Before then, this Sunday, uh, there is the first UK screening of this new feature-length documentary at the Rio Cinema in Dalston at 1pm, Sunday the 18th of February, with a Q&A with the director and special guests afterwards. Right. Well, I hope you all can all attend that, or as many as you can, at least follow it on TNT, because Assange, of course, is a is the whistleblower par excellence and is suffered as a prisoner of consciousness, you might say, for the last 10 years or so. Anyway, Basil, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for the updates. This is TNT Radio. Thank you, Pelly. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago, while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done, and in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number four, my say. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, welcome back to the Pelanero Taylor Show on TNT. Today, we're going to talk to Lucy Commissar, who is a, an investigative journalist of vast experience, who started out in the civil rights movement in the 1960s and has since worked with a, a, a sort of specialist area, which is offshore centers, where a lot of the bad people of the world uh harbor and hide their ill-gotten gains. And she's used insights and investigations to try and expose some of the narratives that we're told. And at the same time, 
uh, rub a lot of people up the wrong way with in, in, incredible uh, tenacity and uh, bravery. Um, I'll just give some background to what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about um, the Bill Browder affair now. Bill Browder was an oligarch uh, or a financier who uh, fled to the UK and uh, in the 2000s and claimed that he was a whistleblower and he was a victim of an incredible fraud by the Russian state. And his, he's been beating the drum about this and uh, what his... his what he claimed to be was his lawyer was killed in a, a Russian prison because he was a whistleblower uh, against Putin's corruption. This message was amplified by the British media and the world media. And that added to this uh, narrative that the, the Russians are absolutely evil and uh, authoritarian and corrupt. And, they, and that's led into this sort of Western picture of the fact that you cannot trust the Russians or that we rise, we stand up to the Russians because we're fighting for civilization against barbarism. It's an old story and, and it's been running again. And it's the, the, um, the, the story about Broward is not the only one, I mean, that, uh, not the only narrative that's been hitting the Russians the last 10 years. Let me say that some of them might be true. I'm not excluding that. Russians are not angels. I think, for instance, the poisoning of Litvinenko a sort of bad guy who's also sought exile in the UK, I think probably was the Russians. They killed him with Polonia. So mm -hmm. let's say they did that, but not all of them. And so we've got the Skripal case a few years ago. It's too detailed to go into now, but that put the Russians in a bad light. I think that was a production by the uh, in British intelligence services co collaborating with the BBC. And there are many, many good blogs on the internet that sort of talk about this in detail. And we'll try to have a guy on who can tell us all about the ins and outs of that. Now, however, we're going to talk to Lucy, who's going to tell us about the real Bill Browder story, which is far less flattering to Bill Browder and to the British. Hi, Lucy. Welcome onto the show. Who, Thank who you. was Bill Browder and what is the official story? Well, uh, Browder is a stock trader. He had uh, worked for Robert Maxwell and then the Solomon Brothers, both in London. Then uh, the story here starts when uh, he, Browder goes to Russia in the mid-90s with $25 billion from Brazilian Lebanese banker Edmund Safra and Israeli mining uh, investor uh, uh, Benny Steinmetz and set up the Hermitage Fund. He was acting for them, though he claims that he set it up for himself. He was acting for them, and it was an offshore operation from the start. They would hold their shares in offshore Guernsey, the address of Safra's Republic National Bank building. Steinmetz uh, would have his shares there too. Then in about 2000, Steinmetz appears to have sold his stake to Berkeley Advisors, a British Virgin Islands entity uh, Browder used to hold his shares in Hermitage, and Safra sold his interest to HSBC, which was Browder's bank in Guernsey. Uh, subsidiaries would be set up in offshore Cyprus. Uh, uh, Browder used Hermitage and the subsidiaries to buy and sell Russian shares. The accounting was done by Sergei Magnitsky, an auditor employed by Firestone Duncan, a law and accounting firm in Moscow run by a Brit, Jamie Firestone. To evade uh, taxes, uh, uh, Browder set up shells in Kalmykia in the Caucasus region of southern Russia. This is a department that is majority Buddhist. To help disabled workers, including veterans of the Afghanistan war, its tax code allowed a 50% deduction for companies where at least half the workers were disabled. But Browder's companies uh, held shares. They didn't employ workers. M Mas uh, Magnitsky went to Kalmykia 
found some manual laborers who for payment would provide their work documents, swear they were working for Hermitage or its subsidiaries. Years later, they would testify how they had been bought. However, in the Can early I just interrupt you, stop you there? I just summarize because people might not follow this that closely. What Browder, this hero in the Western media, started off doing these dirty tricks by avoiding tax, by apparently uh, hiring disabled workers, disabled veterans, and exploiting a tax loophole that allowed a 50% cut in taxes, and funneling all his income through this remote republic of the Russian Republic that allowed this thing to happen. And it was a total scam, basically. Anyway, what um, to avoid paying taxes? Uh, he yeah. ag- he admitted that there was a a, a case in uh, in New York in the in in the federal courts in New York, and he was he had to give a deposition, and he was asked about this, and he said everybody was doing it. Well, everybody was not doing it. If anybody was taking fifty percent, that means they really had the workers. But he admitted to doing this under oath. Okay, so. Mm. Um, there was an investigation going on, and uh, this was done by by the authorities, the, the tax investigators. In two thousand and seven, uh, well, uh, initially, uh, the uh, they they tried to get him to pay. Uh, they found he had uh, failed to pay forty million dollars in taxes. They ordered ordered him to pay in the early two thousands. He would not. He bribed an investigator to knock off the charge. The investigator would later recant and admit this. So uh, then Browder left the country and uh, for just uh, not for permanently, but just he had business elsewhere. Maybe he went back to Britain. He, on his return in late 2005, he was denied a visa. He told the world it was because he was an enemy of Putin. But he had praised him publicly even up till then. But he was a tax cheat. And uh, that okay. is. He's a, sorry, he's a tax cheat. We'll, we'll, just to interrupt you, we'll go over to the news headlines after the break. We'll talk about his magnum opus in terms of uh, gaining Western media praise and attention. Uh, This is TNT Radio. Now for the headlines. TNT Radio News. Big news. At Boyle and T with a look at your TNT headlines. The US Senate has passed a foreign aid bill unlocking $95 billion in wartime funding for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. But the bill must now be approved by the House of Representatives. Despite being the oldest president in US history, the White House has confirmed 81-year-old Joe Biden will not take a cognitive test when he sits for his upcoming physical exam. And a powerful explosion has erupted at a key gas pipeline in central Iran. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. So welcome back to the Pelinero Taylor Show on TNT, the Truth Radio. We've got Lucy Commissar is telling us that uh, this hero in the Western media, Bill Browder, as a, a whistleblower and enemy of Putin, is not all he is cracked up to be, but rather a tax cheat. So he came back to to um, he tried to get back into Russia in two thousand five and was denied a visa and then criticized Putin, and then he got involved in this big thing with the with Magnitsky yeah. and so on. Can you tell tell us about that? Yeah. Well, this was this was called uh, the tax refund fraud, uh, and he didn't invent it. It had been done by by others. Uh, now, now th- th- this is how it works: um, a company sets up some fake shells, and Browder was very good at setting up shell companies. The shells would sue the company, say, 
you fail to carry out a contract and cost me X amount of money, the company would say, yes, we will pay. Then it would tell the treasury, we have to restate our income because we had to pay out this money. And um, so they said uh, they paid a billion dollars to these companies and they claimed a tax refund of 230 million because that had wiped out their total profits. He claimed that his companies were stolen and used in this scam. He said the authorities stole the companies with the documents they took in the investigation early that year. But you can't change ownership of a company in Russia by just having documents. Could you imagine if any unhappy worker in a company could take some documents and go and take take over the company? The, the owner of the company has to go in person to the company's house or uh, a, a person who has power of attorney has to do this. And documents show that at the Cypress Shell, the owner of Browder's Kalmykia shells, had given power of attorney to one Oktai Gasana. So it was an inside job. That was in okay, 07. Just, to, just to stop you there, sorry. I mean, what you're saying is, I mean, these things are designed to be complicated precisely so that you, you, you can't summarize them in a five-minute uh, interview or five minutes. But basically what happened is that he had, he's like a sock, he's like a puppeteer one hand in the sock puppet and the other hand is a sock puppet and the sock puppet on the right owns these shell companies through various intermediaries and says to the main company hey we you owe us one billion because we were making losses on the thing that we promised to do for you so the the main company says hermitage says yeah you're right okay so they go with that information to the russian tax authorities and said can we have some of our tax back because we actually made a loss on this transaction and they claim the money back and that's where the fraud lied, essentially. Yes. Now, um, that was in 2007. Now, investigators had already uh, questioned Magnitsky about the tax evasion in 2006, uh, the, the one that had to do with the Kalmykia fraud, and they would again in 08. Then by the end of 08, he was detained for investigation because the Hermitage executives had, had all left for London, and he was working to, they found out, he was working to arrange a flight to London. The European Court of Human Rights later determined he was arrested for just cause. Now, an operator in the deal who was tried and convicted named Klebnikov testified in court that he worked with a Sergei Leonidovich. That would be Sergei Leonidovich Magnitsky, mm. who supplied documents they needed for the scam and that Gasanov was the collaborator. Uh, now, Browder says he didn't know about the case, but document receipts show that legal letters from the court were received in July at the mailbox that Magnitsky accessed as an accountant for Hermitage, and Hermitage didn't complain till the money was paid out in December, that was five months later. So all the evidence points to the Hermitage team as the crooks in the deal. Uh, okay, now just in, uh, Lucy, just to stop you there, basically... Magnitsky, Sergei Magnitsky is this guy, he's a kind of hero in the Western media because mm -hmm. he's supposed to be a whistleblower and Browder goes around and saying this guy died for the truth because uh, he di did die in jail of, of one cause or another, maybe of neglect or something. But the point is, he was not a whistleblower and arrested as such. He mm -hmm. was the co-criminal who simply didn't get away in time. He was planning to leave. I mean, yes. I'm sure he was a nice guy personally, but he, he didn't. Browder and so on was sitting safely in London, having already committed this crime. But Magnitsky couldn't get away, so they took him instead. And the European Court of Human Rights, which is an amazing uh, piece of knowledge I didn't know, you saying that they actually agreed with the assessment I just made, that uh, Magnitsky was a co-criminal. 
they said he was right to be detained. They didn't determine that he was a criminal, right. but considering yeah. all the evidence and considering that there was, ev that, including that he had arranged, uh, uh, was working to get a, a ticket to go to London, mm. it was mm. just to detain him. Now, right. on whistleblower, Browder calls him a whistleblower, but that's fake. The real whistleblower was Rima Starova. She was a pensioner who had been paid to be the hired name of a shell company, Boily Systems, that Browder set up in the British Virgin Islands to take over the shell companies used in the scam. She saw something in Commerçant, a, a newspaper, about an investigation of Hermitage shell companies. She was afraid the trail would lead to her. So in April mm. of 08, she went to the police and told them about the fake registration of the companies. Uh, Magnitsky didn't even mention the scam till six months later, in October 08, in testimony he was summoned to give. Now, Browder lies that he accused the tax investigators. He accused no one. It's easy to prove because the translated testimony is filed in the U.S. federal court in the same case that Browder gave a deposition for. Now, uh, Magnitsky died of pancreatitis, which was badly treated. Uh, Browder said in talks uh, later, uh, in that, that that same year in Chatham House in London in, in 09, the San Diego Law School in, in uh, 2010, and these are all either recorded or transcribed, that uh, Magnitsky had been left alone in a cell had been and had died. A year later, with the help of Jonathan Weiner, a former State Department official, left alone in a cell had been and had died. A year later, with the help of Jonathan Weiner, a former State Department official, he invented the story that Magnitsky had been beaten to death with batons wielded by eight thugs over the course of more yeah. than one hour. There are two problems with the story. The Russian Public Oversight Commission for Human Rights is a non-governmental organization that monitors prison conditions, did an investigation. Its report, including uh, uh, notes by the uh, attending doctors, interviews, showed that there was not an hour when he was unattended and that anyone could have beaten him up. And the Physicians for Human Rights in Cambridge, Massachusetts, issued a report that said he died of pancreatitis, didn't say he died of right. beating. But when the right. US Congress in 2012 passed and Obama signed the Magnitsky Act, it repeated right. all of those lies. Okay. Now, well, so this is the way I sorry the way I see it is that we, I mean we, we're adults. We can see these in terms of shades of gray. You know, the, the 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 Russians have a terrible prison system, and and I saw a documentary that showed the barbaric conditions in which he was held, which pro weren't even justified by the the, the financial crime. And I there think they're worse than Mississippi. The American South, and I've read about this a lot. The American South, you can match to the Russian prison conditions. Oh, really? Okay, maybe. Okay, but anyway, so but he wasn't died, he killed beating. He, the, the, there was oh. even the American prison cells are, are bad, as you say. The Russians were not. Uh, the Russians were not Swedes, you know. The Russians mistreated him, maybe deliberately, and he died of pancreatitis. But I mean, Browder has bigged that up and exaggerated, and then uh, uh, concealed the whole fraud he committed against the Russian state, which uh, led to Magnitsky being detained. It was almost as a scapegoat. So Magnitsky was sort of a scapegoat for the Russians, or, or for and Browder. And, but right. Browder could have got him out at any time, couldn't he, or something? All he had to do was pay the taxes. He was uh, Magnitsky was there as a witness. If they paid the tax, if he paid the taxes, um, in 2013, Browder was convicted of tax evasion, and Magnitsky was judge guilty, but the case was dismissed because he was deceased. He keeps going around saying that uh, mm. Magnitsky was convicted even though he was dead. He continues to lie about mm. that. 
Uh, the case actually on uh, Magnitsky was brought by his family because Russian courts allow a family of a deceased person to get a judgment when the, when the person is, when there are uh, crimes, okay. uh, accusations hanging over that person's head, their reputation. And that's why that. Lucy, that... sorry, we've we, we got to wind up there. Could, could you just summarize for everyone who's read the mainstream media in the West who believes that this is yet another nail in Russia's credibility's coffin? What do you say to them? How can they learn the truth? Go to your website, presumably, because I know you've given a lot of talks about this. Yes. Uh, yeah, the Commissar Scoop. Um, well, he, I've written about the problem is the media. The I, I wrote about this in 2017 for 100 reporters. There were no public denials from Browder. The only mainstream media that has uh, told the truth is Der Spiegel in Germany in 2019, yeah, two years after my right. story. Okay. Browder okay. filed a complaint. The German press okay. council said no. Right. The story Lucy, is right. So, so look at Lu Lucy Commissar's website. You'll find it easily. She explains it very well. But the Spiegel, famous German news magazine, which is normally very anti-Russian, uh, Google the, the Spiegel's got the article in English. It also explains it very well. But the Anglo media didn't pick it up. Thanks a lot, Lucy. We'll have you on again. Uh, this is uh, the Pelineroff Taylor show on TNT Radio. We've got our next guest coming up after the break. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and talked all about the threat that China poses to us, and it was downright frightening. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure. Seemingly everything we need to survive. Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. And get this, we even have a time frame for this impending disaster. The budgets that emerge from discussions underway now will dictate what kind of resources we have ready in 2027, a year that as this committee knows all too well, the CCP has circled on its calendar. Oh, we have three years to neutralize this existential threat. Don't you feel better? I don't. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, right here on TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Coming to you live from Sweden, you're with Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Hi, welcome back to my show uh, on TNT, Truth and Freedom Radio. Uh, we've got uh, Troy Miller with us from the National Association of Religious Broadcasters. Hi again. Um, it's exciting, interesting times for you because you've got your uh, national convention and you have a lot to talk about, don't you? Um, re religious persecution and uh, not least the thorny topic of Israel. <clears throat> 
But we'll start off with um, with uh, persecution. What's going to be on your agenda? Because a lot of people will be following this and interested in because it's Christian persecution is a hot topic. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning. Christian persecution is a hot topic, especially here in the U.S. Uh, as we see it growing. Uh, Christians now look. Christians are persecuted around the world more than any other religion uh, that there is, and and so we've been happy over the years that the State Department, especially under the Trump administration, did a lot for global Christian persecution. But we're going to talk at, at our conference here next week in Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to talk a lot of what's going on with the Christian persecution here. My hometown, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, uh, just had six pro-lifers convicted under what's called the FACE Act uh, for a violent uh, actions against a pro-abortion clinic, when actually all they were doing in the hallway was praying. There have been over 100 convictions in use of the FACE Act against pro-life demonstrators and only four against sort of pro-choice demonstrators who have vandalized and uh, attacked, you know, pro-life people. So it's it's really kind of not balanced here in the U.S. Plus, we had the recent revelation that the Justice Department working with the banks and financial institutions to track any transactions where you have religion, Bible, spirituality in them, and to create a list. What is that list used for? So it's a big topic for us, along with the cancel culture that's going on in the social media. So if Christians are on any of the major social media platforms, and you talk about pro-life, pro-family, uh, one, uh, two genders, man and woman, you're, you're going to get canceled off of that. So, yeah, it's a big issue. We're going to have a number of panelists talking about all of those. And, um, well, that's interesting. So these these pro-lifers, how uh, have they been sentenced? For how, for how long are they going to jail? So sentencing is going to come up here in about a month, and they're looking at a possible 11 years behind bars and up to $250,000 in fines. Basic. I mean, that sounds really incredible, doesn't it? I mean, basic for just praying, and they were not violent in any way, and, and they were not exactly sort of uh, young thugs, were they? Was it Were they older women? Just remind me of who they were. Yeah, it, it, it was a mixture of mostly, you know, middle-aged women and men uh, that were there. There's videos out there. You can see them. They were just peacefully sitting in the hallways praying. Uh, they didn't uh, disrupt anything when they were asked to, to leave. And and so it's it's really sad that the government's done this. But look, the government sent the FBI to pro-lifers' homes to come into their homes on FBI raids with full body armor and guns to take some of these people away and arrest them in front of their families. It's, it's ludicrous what's going on in the weaponization of government against Christians and Christianity. But I mean, if they were just, I mean, were they even, let's, was the law applied very harshly or did they in fact not even break the law? I mean, what was, the law might be tough, but were they breaking the law or, or not? Look, the law was put in place originally for people that had violence. The law talks about violence against uh, uh, both, the, and the law is meant to protect both pro-life and, and abortion clinics. So the law was put to say, look, if you're if you if you perpetrate violence against anybody in these clinics or the clinics themselves, that's what the law. And no, there was no violence. They were simply praying in the hallways. There were a couple of them that were sitting in front of doors. Um, and, and that's what the prosecutor said was violent, that, that that them praying, just being there in the hall, constituted violence. And they got a jury to to buy it, a federal mm -hmm. jury. Well, it's very worrying. And it sounds to us Europeans a little bit like the uh, exaggerated uh, 
crime sentences for the people of the January 6th event, you know, because to me, I, I saw the footage, the only people who were killed were, were protesters. They were killed by the FBI, or weren't they? And then they walked around, they looked like tourists on a holiday, just being guided around. They were shown around by the police. And then uh, they ended up with 20-year uh, jail sentences or whatever. I mean, it sounds, it's totally disproportionate. Um, and I'm glad you seem to be, you're standing up for the resistance in a way. Um, yeah, well, yeah. it's it's clearly intimidation that's that's meant to silence, you know, the conservative Christian community, uh, whether you look at the January 6th, and a lot of those people that were convicted on the January 6th, as you said, were simply people that went to, to Washington, D.C. for a rally, for a pro-Trump rally. Lots of them were let into the Capitol. They didn't know they were trespassing when the, when the Capitol Hill police were saying, okay, go ahead, hold the doors open and let them in. And, and yet the government has used the 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 harshest prosecutions they can uh, on these in individuals. There's always in any kind of a situation, there's, there's always the rowdy crowd that does the wrong thing, but we're talking about a very, very small number of people. And yet the government is going after thousands of people on the January 6th. Uh, it, it's it's really just uh, almost for, for the US, we can't even comprehend these kinds of violations of people's civil rights and first amendment rights. And how how has the U.S. mainstream media covered these issues, or is it left to you and the Christian community to, to write about it and try and highlight it? Yeah, I think one of the, the things that they were highlighting uh, at the conference here is the Christian community and Christian media in particular uh, really are the voices of truth that have to bring this up. The mainstream media uh, has either brushed over or ignored these uh, mm -hmm. topics altogether. And so it's been the Christian media that's really stepped up and been the place where people can find out the truth and find out what's going on. And, and it was there was a recent poll, you know, the only people that have a less, uh, the lower approval rating than the president is the mainstream media, yet Christian media holds a very high approval rating amongst its uh, viewers and listeners. That's really interesting. I mean, um, the the thing is, I mean, once you mobilize, and uh, you are an incredibly powerful uh, population group or lobby group, aren't you? I mean, you you can sway elections like almost no other group in America can, isn't that right? I mean, how how many do you yeah. number in your community? Yeah, look, seventy percent of Americans identify with some form of Christianity or belief. A Christian belief. 37% of the vote, voting population identify as evangelical Christians. And so that's one third uh, of the voting population. And that's why the left, we believe, is really attacking Christians, because in, in order to get a lot of their agendas through, they're going to have to silence the Christian population. And so when the Christian groups get out and vote, uh, when they get out and get involved in these issues in the in the public, then then they have a, a very big influence on the outcomes of those. Mm. And you were saying last time we spoke that you, you I guess, do you sort of try and keep an objective stance or a neutral stance between Biden and Trump? Or do you sort of push? You said that Trump is more favorable to you guys than, than uh, the Democrats. So are you leaning towards him in, in your support? Well, we, we don't we don't support or endorse candidates as a nonprofit 501c3 organization. But if you talk about the Christian community as a, as a whole, you know, and you look at the Democratic platform and the Republican platform, certainly the Republican platform is more friendly 
uh, to the causes that are important to evangelical mm. Christians that are out there. We, we actually have invited uh, presidential candidates to come and address our audience on Thursday at the convention next week. Uh, we Our first invitation went to President Biden. Uh, we really did honestly hope that the president would come and address the, the crowd. As you said, this is 30 uh, 7% of the U.S. population, voting population, 70% of the people that identify as Christians. Uh, the president didn't respond to us. We invited President Trump and Nikki Haley. And look, President Trump's going to come and speak to the national religious broadcaster attendees. And so I think that shows what he thinks and feels about that 37% of the population. Wow. Okay. Now, I'm just going to, I I was, um, before you came on this morning, I was checking out uh, a UK Christian uh, news website, and all the headlines are the sort of things I want to know about, but you never read about in the mainstream media. Religious persecution, political correctness gone mad. And one thing caught my eye, because I'm based in Scandinavia, is how a Finnish lady uh, who was uh, retweeting a photograph from the Bible where it was critical of homosexuality. Uh, you probably know it. It's Romans. You know, I can't quote it chapter and verse because I can't look in my notes now. <laughs> but um, she uh, is going to be persecuted for that you know whereas if you if you, the quran which is uh, far more savage in its uh, condemnation of people who are now politically accepted uh, people can get away with that quite a, a lot so uh, the supreme court have, uh, in finland have taken up her case and it looks as if she might end up in jail as well so are the I, I presume you you alluded to the fact that christians around the world are are the most persecuted minority because we're used to very very loud voices from the islamic community saying that they're persecuted but uh, and of course the jews we'll get to that in a moment but christians are very much persecuted uh, would you like to say something about worldwide persecution yeah it, it, look at worldwide persecution christians are the most persecuted religious group uh that there is we we look at what goes on particularly in muslim countries around the world um there's a, a massive amount of persecution right now going on in india uh, from the Hindu communities. Uh, China has upped its persecution of Christians and shutting down home churches that for a long time uh, were okay in China, were acceptable. Um, the, across the African con continent, many of the, the, the tribal wars and the wars are, that go on there have been persecution against Christians uh, as Islam has risen. So we're very concerned about the growing number of persecution. And these are Christians around the world. So, so in the U.S., persecution is starting with jail time, certainly starting with marginalization of the Christian message. That's, that, that, that is widespread in the U.S., but Christians around the world are putting their life on the line for their faith in Jesus Christ and the faith uh, in, in what they believe in the scriptures. And so, and, and, and look, this State Department has done very little to address that. Uh, there's, a, there's a group out there that works on this. A number of our members work on this. Um, but we'd love to see uh, a friendly administration that would bring this up as, a, as an international issue to the UN and to other countries. So, Troy, this um, uh, I know that uh, your community is traditionally quite supportive of Israel, and now you've had this Gaza thing, and quite a lot of our viewers are, are very, very upset, quite a lot of Europeans, and even Americans. I think Biden's lost a young vote because they, even young Jews are, um, are very hostile to Israel now because of, uh, well, you could call it, a some people call it a genocide. You, you, you're raising this at your convention. What are the different views there, and what stance do you think you're going to take 
Oh, well, our, our, by, by far, our membership is, is supportive of Israel and Israel's action. I actually went to Israel in December and toured some of the areas uh, in southern Israel that were attacked by Hamas on October 7th, an unprovoked attack, by the way, uh, by Hamas. And the atrocities are, were, were beyond belief. So the Israeli consulate will general bill be at NRB this year. They're going to be showing a, a video talking about those uh, atrocities. Uh, we have a number of events going on supporting Israel. And like I said, our, our members believe that Israel has a right to defend itself. And we believe that the land that Israel is in was given to them by God. So there's, there's, the, the, there's more history that the Jews belong in the in in the country in the nation of Israel in that land today than there is for anybody and so we're very supportive uh, we think this administration has turned hostile to Israel uh, and we're going to fight that and then talk about as you said the Palestine pro-palestinian movement that's gone on across the country and that's really an extension of the indoctrination that's gone on uh, in colleges so this is that whole idea of oppressors versus colonialists and it's really interesting. The Jewish people have been uh, persecuted more than I think any race uh, in the world that, that we could look at. And yet somehow they're the oppressors. Uh, it, it's really sad that these young people don't really understand or even take the time to, to know the history of the Holy Land, the history of the Jewish people, and also to really look at what happened on October 7th, what Hamas did. But I mean, is there anything Israel could do that could get them to lose your support? Because I mean, that you say that they're de defending themselves, but I mean, surely bombing women and children is not a Christian or a, a Jewish thing to do. I mean, they, they, they apparently they killed thirty thousand people, of whom seventy percent are, are women and children. Where do yeah, you look? Look, I'm a yeah. Navy veteran. War is terrible. It, 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 it's horrible. You want to avoid it at all costs. But we can't forget that Israel was attacked on October 7th and that Hamas has been using its own people as human shields. I mean, look at some of the coverage that's come out of there. Uh, the Hamas fighters have even taken humanitarian aid away from their own uh, own people. Hamas could mm. stop this war today. I mean, we, we put all the pressure on Israel but if Hamas simply surrendered and said, look, this is too much uh, of a burden of, of, of a of tragedy for all of our people, they could stop this war today and let the remaining, there's over a hundred hostages still remaining. Israel just rescued two hostages this week. So I think the real, the real onus here, the real, real charge should be for Hamas to surrender uh, this, stop this war immediately. That, that's what would happen if Hamas would just surrender. Do you think that, uh, I mean, and is there any, are you all fairly united around this position or is this a potentially divisive position? Um, no, I think for the, the mass majority of the Christian community is united around this uh, position. Look, we're praying for peace in Israel. We're praying for uh, the, the Palestinians that are in the Gaza uh, Strip area. We're praying for protection on civilians that the Hamas has put into uh, harm's way. I mean, as Christians, we, we, we want to see peace in Israel. We want to see this war stop. But we also recognize that there's a justice to Israel defending itself um, it's often been said that if if, is, if uh, Hamas laid down its arms, there would be peace tomorrow. If Israel laid down its arms, it would be annihilated. So, so.
So okay. look, there's two, two sides to this. We have to end you there. Uh, really interesting to hear your perspective. And uh, we will talk to you later, maybe after the show, after your convention. Thank you very much, Troy Miller, uh, President of the uh, National Re- Re- Association of Religious Broadcasters. Thank you very much. This is the TNT 